As many of you know already, we're in a November series. It's called Some Assembly Required. And, you know, with the holiday season in full swing, Christmas stuff is everywhere already, right? And uh, be, because we know that November starts the holidays and we're going to be getting together, we're going to be assembling with family and friends, uh, we thought this would be a very appropriate time to talk about assembling. And, and not only during the holidays with our friends, but the, the importance and the nuts and bolts of community and what it looks like as a follower of Jesus to be part of of the body of Christ. We feel like it's really important that we understand and we, that that's part of our mission. It's the mission of the church, but it should also be our individual mission too and figuring out what it looks like to be part of community. And uh, we have a text verse that we've been using every week this month that we're gonna continue with again today. In fact, as we always do, if you would please stand with me just in honor of reading God's word. I, uh, it's actually scriptural to stand for God's Word. It's not a requirement, but it is a great thing to do. If we can stand for the flag, I think we can stand for God's word. Amen. No, uh, Romans 12, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Roman church in verses 4 and 5. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's the part that we have highlighted there is that we, we belong to each other, that we are meant to be part of the body, but we're not meant to be uh, just doing our own thing, but we actually do belong to each other. The first week we talked about the why of community. Last week we talked about uh, what we bring to community, which if you remember those three things that it's important that we bring to community are integrity, transparency, and authenticity. It's what the world needs to see in the church, but it's also something we need to see in community. Today we're gonna talk about what we give in community as, as part of the body, what that looks like to give of ourselves in community. So would you pray with me, please? Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time that we have together, God. We're so blessed, so blessed to be in your house. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to come and bring the word this morning. And I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, in spite of me, and that you would do your work in each one of our hearts, Lord. And as we have prayed many times today, that no one would come into this place without experiencing a touch from you. And we just give you all the glory, God. Would you do your work in our hearts today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Before you're seated, look to someone and say, pay attention, this is going to be good. And we're saying that in faith. Amen. And you need this. Okay, so today we are talking about the importance of being given to community and how that looks for us as followers of Jesus. How many of you know that healthy community is hard? To, to achieve healthy community, it takes a lot of work, right? And the reason for that is because anything that involves human beings, which is basically everything, is going to have tensions that we have to deal with. It's going to be, there's going to be opportunities for growth in our life. Anything that has humans, because we are humans. And we have the Spirit of God in us as followers of Jesus. But that Spirit of God doesn't always get his way in our life, does he? Sometimes we get our own way. And so we, we bring tension into community. And so it's hard work to have healthy community. And for every... For as much as uh, the godly characteristics that we exhibit help to build healthy community, the ungodly characteristics in our life, and we all have them, no matter what try, kind of facade we try to put forward, there's, all of us have things in us that we're still working through, right? Those ungodly characteristics can do much to tear down community, healthy community and bring toxicity in community. But anything worth having is worth fighting for, right? Right? Amen. Anything worth having is worth fighting for. So the way we approach community is of utter importance in our life. 
I've kind of, for the purpose of my message today, I've kind of boiled it down to two different types of people in community. When we're talking about community today, we're talking about the body of Christ, okay? Being connected to the body of Christ. You're a follower of Jesus, and you are part of his body. If you're part of New Hope, you're part of this body, okay? And what it looks like, there's two different types of people that come into the body of Christ. There are contributors and there are consumers. And the contributor, contributor would come into the body of Christ, would, would be, want to be part of community, and they would have this mindset of what they can bring to community. Not only what they can get, which we all receive when we come into community, there's a blessing that comes with that, but also what they can, the part that they can play, knowing the contributor knows that I have a part to play, that I, I am part of the solution. I am, I am the answer for somebody. I can give a timely word in a moment, or I can do something that can be a blessing to somebody else. That's what a contributor is. The consumer, on the other hand, comes into community with the attitude more of what they can get, of what is in it for me. Uh, you can compare it to the idea or the, the mindset of a customer. If we come into community as a consumer, we're coming in as a customer, and a customer's mindset when they go into a store or anywhere is, what is this place going to do for me? What are they going to do to bless me? What are they going to do to show me they care about me to earn my business, right? In fact, uh, back in the mid-70s, which I was born in the early to mid-70s, so I don't remember when this started, but I do remember these things being uh, in advertising and in marketing. But if, if you remember, many of you know the jingle that McDonald's came up with in the mid-70s for the Big Mac, right? It's two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a... Sesame seed bun. We all, most of us know that little jingle. There was a song went with it. I will spare you the brutalness of me singing the song, but you know the song. And that was their marketing pitch for the Big Mac. That way, when you came into a, a McDonald's store, you, if you wanted to order a Big Mac, you could actually say in your head, Too old okay, I know what's on it. And you ordered, if you want those things, you order a Big Mac. If you don't like those things, you order a cheeseburger or something else or chicken nuggets if they had them back in the 70s. Probably not. But anyway... So McDonald's did this, and it was effective, but then one of their biggest competitors, Burger King, did something that rocked the fast food industry ever since. They came out with a slogan for their Whopper, and it was four simple words, and it changed everything. Anybody remember what it was? Have it your way. They countered McDonald's description of their burger by saying to you as the customer, we're not going to tell you what's on it. You can have it your way. And their slogan to go with it was, Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. Oh, isn't that cute? Because they care so much about you. I mean, you know, when you go to a Burger King, you could just tell how much they care about you, right? They just love you. They're so glad you're there. They're so glad that you're making them work and have to do something and not be on their phones, right? They, they, they want to give off this impression that we just care about you so much. We just want you to be happy which is a lie from the pit of hell. They don't care if you're happy, they want your money, <laughs> which is fine. That's the open market, free market system. It's a good thing that they're competing for our business, amen? Nothing wrong with that, we like that. The problem is that that consumer mentality, because see with this, the consumer was king. You come in, they have to appease you. They have to cater to you. They have to do what you want to make you happy so that you'll come back. And it, it put power in the hands of the consumer which was good. But what's happened to that over the last 40 years is that has actually bled into the church. There's, there's a consumer mentality in the church. 
And, and I think innocently enough, the church has to some degree exemplified this motto too. Have it your way of wanting to do things and, and, and have programs and have things that would be shiny and bright and make you feel like this is where you want to be. We, we've gone into this, this mindset of, of allowing the people in the church to be the consumer. And we're doing everything we can do as a church to, you know, have, have the lights the way you want it, have the music the way you want it, have the preaching the way you want it, and have the service a certain amount of time so it's not too long. And we're doing these things to try to cater to people. And let me just say, to a degree, that's okay. We, we do need to be relevant in our society. But, I, but the, the, the statistics show that it's gone way out of balance. It's way out of whack. Statistically, they say nationally, 10 to 15% of people in the church actually serve in the church, actually serve to help the body. That means 85 to 90% of people in the American church are consumers. They're coming because of what you can do for them. They're coming with the, the mindset of, I hope this is good for me. I hope the, the lights are right. I hope the music's right. I hope the people are friendly. I hope the, the pastor's not too short and not too young. If that's the case, I'm sorry. You probably won't want to be here, but I'm just kidding. But, you know, we want to have things kind of our way. And it's kind of that, that mentality that's, that's in our, our commercial society has worked its way into the church. Now, I'm happy to say here at New Hope, I feel like our numbers are much, much higher than 10 or 15%, which is a blessing. It's a huge blessing, but the fact remains there's still too many of us that are approaching church as a consumer, and God would want us to approach church as a contributor, not just a consumer. You can have both. I believe it, the, one of the biggest purposes of coming to church on a Sunday is to receive the word and to be able to worship corporately, and there's something we get from that, and it's beautiful, and that's, that's why we do this, but this is only a small part of it. We are called to be contributors. We are called to be part of the body. We belong to each other, according to my text verse. And we are called to be here for and with each other. You see, we cannot cultivate consumerism in the church any longer. We, we have to cultivate contributorism, which I don't think is a word, but for the purpose of this, it is today. We want to be, that's what we want to cultivate, that we would be working together to be an army of God that's doing God's purpose in our lives through the church, being the hands and feet of Jesus, being a city on a hill, being a light, being salt that God has called us to be. And how that looks for each of us is different. You know, for some of us, it might be going across the world and being a missionary. For some of us, it might just be going to your home and being the hands and feet of Jesus to someone in your home that's not a follower of Jesus. Or going into your place of work and just reaching out to one person that you know has a bad attitude about church or a bad attitude about God and just loving them the way Jesus would want you to love them. It's about having that contributor mindset. We're not all Billy Grahams. We're not all going to win millions to Jesus. But if we have the mind and the heart of a contributor, God will open our eyes to see opportunities that we don't always take advantage of when we are just thinking about being a consumer. So be a consumer at Burger King, but be a contributor in the church. Amen? I'm preaching to somebody today. That's, that's, a, that's the call God has on each one of our lives. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. We come together. I mentioned a couple weeks ago about like a huddle. We come together. This is our huddle. This is to come to get the, the play, to get the, 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 the plan of the boss. And I'm not the boss. I'm talking about our Heavenly Father, to get his plan for us so that we can take it and be effective in the world for the glory of God. Amen?
There's a, a poll in uh, 2018 that the Barna Group did that said that 51% of churchgoers, not people that say they're Christians, people that actually go to church, over half the people that go to church do not know what the Great Commission is. They've never heard of it. That breaks my heart because I know that that's God's heart for the church. And, and for the half, the 49% that do know what it is, half of those people say they only vaguely know what it is. So that means only 25% really are understanding and, and educated on what the mission of the church is meant to be. So for those of you that don't know, the Great Commission is the words of Jesus that he gave us right before he ascended back into heaven. When he, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. For 40 days he was on the earth. And then he ascended back into heaven. Right before he went back into heaven, he gave us his last instructions. And we call it the Great Commission. He said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. That is God's heart for the church. So we, we are called as a church to come together, to grow, to be fed, and all those things, but then to take what we have been given and take it to the world. And like I said, some of us aren't called to go across the ocean. Some of us aren't even called to go across the state. Some are just need to be making disciples in our circle of influence. But some of us are called to go across the ocean. In fact, this, the timing of all of this is perfect. Uh, Michael Conway, which many of you know, I grew up in this church for years in our youth group and was interning here as one of the youth leaders. And uh, he got the call from the Lord to go be a missionary in Medellin, South America, in Colombia, South America. And he went nine years ago down there, packed his bags and went, and he's been there ever since. And God called him to help evangelize Latin America. And he has followed that call. And he's actually in town right now, and he came and he's here today. And when he does come, we, all, we like to give him an opportunity just to share his heart and share what the Lord's doing through his ministry because, because of your giving, we actually are able to support what he does, him and his family. And we're able to be a huge support to them. So I'm asking Michael to come to share for a few minutes. Would you guys make him welcome this morning? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Reagan. Thank you, New Hope. We're really excited to be here. My, my wife with our sons back in the... Um, Sunday school, but afterwards we'll, we'll be there if you, if you, I would love to talk with you. And we're really excited about what God is doing. God is doing all over Latin America. God is doing in, in the world. We're honored and excited to be a part of, of New Hope. As Pastor Reagan said, I, I came to know the Lord here. I came to know the Lord here actually in a small group 15, 16 years ago. Got connected, came to know the Lord. He changed my life. Then put the call to go to Latin America. Me and my wife, we have an organization, a nonprofit organization, Gospel for Latin America, uh, where we work uh, specifically in Medellin, Colombia. We work as a youth pastors there at a church, and we're branching out in different, different nations in different, different parts of the world. And this year, our plans completely changed what we were planning on doing, everything for COVID. I know things have been difficult here, but for us, we were under a six-month lockdown. And for around three or four of those months, it was a complete lockdown. Didn't, weren't able to leave the house, stuck there at home. And in that time, we, we had a lot of things going on. A lot of things changed. The way that we do ministry had to change. Started doing online services, everything, video calls for, through counseling, through our small groups. We had a lot of people that were, seemed to be connected to the church, got disconnected, and a lot of people began making decisions for Jesus. And like, like Pastor Reagan was sharing, it's about being contributors, about looking for ways to do it. We can't use the excuse that, oh, I'm not able. 
One of the, one of the examples that, that we had, we have one of our small group leaders, an older woman, and she lives in one of the poor neighborhoods there in Medellin. From what I, what I know, she hasn't ever even left our state. Um, doesn't have the money to be able to do so. But during this time, she was evangelizing and discipling people in Spain. And she has disciples in Spain now because she got connected, because she took the initiative, said, I'm able to do this. The Lord is opening up some doors. And so in Medellin, Colombia, a woman who's never moved out of her neighborhood is evangelizing people in Spain. It's about having the eyes for the kingdom. It's about seeing things and saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit's leading me to do this and making the decision to do that. To step out of our comfort zones and do what the Lord is calling us to do. Like I said, our lives were changed. Here we have a few different pictures of people that you, New Hope, were able to support. Because you were, were missionaries sent out from New Hope, you partner with Gospel for Latin America, and we were able to, um, through Gospel for Latin America, give donations for people who were suffering because we're st we're, we have people in our church just starting to get back on their feet. Our government came out a day before lockdown and said we're going to be shut down for this weekend. That turned into a month. That turned into another three months and eventually to six months. So we were able to help people out at the very beginning. We're also partnering with an organization that goes and delivers packages of food once a month in the, in the veredas, which is way up in the mountains where people are, have been heat even worse, heat even harder. So they're taking food up there to them. And this Christmas season, we have something really exciting that we're going to be working with. People whose parents are in jail giving out Christmas gifts to the kids. But God is moving in a special and in a mighty way. And we're just being reminded about what our call is. What our call is there, where your call is here. It's about what? Glorifying and exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Because he's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of everything. If he paid the price for us on the cross so that we can come to know him, we can be saved, we can spend an eternity in him, we're able to give our lives where we are. Where that is talking to a friend, sharing the good news of the kingdom, about listening to him, and following his call in our lives. So we're honored to partner with you, New Hope, to do the work of the Lord, do the ministry there in Medellin, Colombia, and over Latin America. And we just, we're, we're honored. God bless you all. Here we have our, our website. Um, our afterwards, we'd love to get connected with you through social media to share updates constantly about what the Lord is doing. God bless y'all. Thank y'all. Thank you, Michael. Amen. And it is... It is because of your consistent giving that we're able to help and support Gospel for Latin America with Michael Conway and his family and, and uh, Ben Johnson and 1040 Hope that we do and, and the bridge ministry here and, and I Care, which helps uh, get women out of human trafficking. All those things are all because of you guys and your giving. And I'm constantly blown away by the generosity of this church and so thankful for your, your generosity to help us uh, fulfill the Great Commission. Because that, that's one of the criteria that we have as a church. If we're going to support any ministry, we want to know that they are working to fulfill the Great Commission, that they are helping to glorify God and to expand his kingdom. And we can say confidently that that is what Michael and Sarah and their family are doing. So God bless you guys. So good to have you today. You know, uh, we have an expectation biblically to be a, con a contributor in our life. As a follower of Jesus, there's an expectation. And, you know, as, as New Hope, we want to have an expectation, too, that we would be contributors and not just consumers. Our, my, my dream, my vision for this church is that we would be a church 
of contributors that have that mindset that we are all part of the solution. All of us, no matter what our issues are, no matter what we're struggling with, that we would be able to still be used by God. Every one of us is able to be used by God. He doesn't wait till we're perfect. He doesn't wait till we have it all figured out. It's like saying, I want to make sure, wait till, to have kids until I have enough money. Well, then you're never going to have kids, right? We all know that. There's never enough money to have kids. And we can't wait till we have it all figured out to be part of the solution, to have the contributor mindset in the church. And, you know, we, we share the, the mission of this church all the time because we believe so wholeheartedly in it. And we, we feel like you guys would want to know, too, like, why am I part of this church? Like, where is this church going? The, the mission of the church tells us where we're going. And our mission is simple. We say it all the time. It is to reach those far from God and to lead people to their next step in a God-first life. That is the simple mission of this church. Everything we do will fall under that heading. But then we also have the vision. The mission is where we're going. The vision tells us how we're going to get there. And we haven't shared the vision as much, but I want to share it with you today just very briefly. We wrote it out so that, that it's easy to see and understand. But the vision of this church is to connect people to God and others, to grow closer to God, to give who we are and what we have, and to build God's kingdom in our communities. That is the vision of this church. That is how we're going to get to what our mission is, to reach people and to lead people into their next step. And we would, we would ask you to be part of the vision of this church too. This, this vision is not just for the super spiritual and the super mature and the ones that know how to pray in King James, okay? It's for everybody. It's for anybody that would call themselves a, a, a part of this body. We connect people to God and others. You know, we can't, we can't know God or we can't be a, a vessel that God want to use unless we are participating, unless we're being known and connected to the body. To grow closer to God, you know, you can't give what you don't have. And if we want people, if we want to help people get closer to God and grow, we have to be growing too. And you know, the, the, we don't have fruit to give if we don't, if we don't have fruit ourselves. Uh, a tree doesn't produce fruit unless it is grown to a place where it can handle the fruit, right? And so that's what we feel God has called us to do, and to give who we are. Every one of us has a gift, as, as I've said earlier, that is, that is effective and good for the body of Christ. And then to build God's kingdom in our communities, to make an impact in your community, to make an impact in the lives of those that God has put in your life because you have something to give them. We all do. So what I want to give us today as a, 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 my three points, I want to give us three characteristics of a contributor because I think there are three things that stick out more than any other of what it looks like to be a contributor in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. Uh, and the first one is that it is imperative and it is foundational that we are kingdom-minded. We have to be kingdom-minded if we're going to be a contributor in the body of Christ. We can never be effective in community without this because community is about the kingdom of God. So we're not coming into community to be part of any other kingdom except his. And so it's imperative that we have the mind of Christ, that we are, that we are mindful about his kingdom and not our own. We, if we're like this, we understand that the purpose, our purpose is to reach a world that desperately needs Jesus. That's our purpose. Once, once we have become a follower of Jesus, once we become a Christian, our purpose is, is to grow in our relationship with him and to experience him in our life, but then it is to use that to reach a world that desperately, desperately needs him. And you see a consumer's attitude towards the body of Christ 
would not be to necessarily be kingdom-minded, but they would think that it, was, it would be everybody else's job to help build God's kingdom. Or worse yet, that connecting to the body is really about helping me build my kingdom. You know, the prosperity gospel is about connecting to the body of Christ so that my kingdom can be prospered, so that I can have everything I need, everything that I want, that God would just give me everything that my heart's ever longed for, that I would be building my kingdom. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about building his kingdom, absolutely building his kingdom. But, you know, it's difficult to be kingdom-minded outside of Sunday mornings, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. It's difficult to be kingdom-minded all the time. Sunday mornings is great. We're all together. It's easy. We just got done worshiping corporately, and now you're, you're hearing a sermon and on the Word of God. It's easy to be th- mindful of the kingdom of God, but we have to leave this place soon, and then we got to go back out there, and we got to we got to work to be kingdom-minded when we're outside of this place. But all the duties and responsibilities that come with our own kingdom can be all-consuming. Whether it's work or school or friends or family, health, whatever it is, bill collectors, bill, bills that come in the mail, there's a lot of things that are trying to get us to focus on our kingdom. But in reality, we're really meant to focus more on God's kingdom. We have to deal with the things in our life, too. It doesn't mean we neglect those but we could still have a kingdom mindset. And I think too oftentimes we, we approach our faith a little bit like the game of spoons. Now, I'm sure most of you know about the game of spoons. Some of you probably played it. It's what you get a bunch of people, you sit around a table, you get a couple decks of cards, and you put spoons in the center of the table. You put one less spoon than you have people. And you start passing cards around the table. And the first person that gets four of a kind in their cards, I think it's four of a kind, three or four of a kind, the first person that gets that in their hand gets to grab a spoon. And when that person grabs a spoon, it's a free-for-all from there on out, right? Everybody gets to grab a spoon then. And one person's going to be left without a spoon, and that person gets a letter, S. And if you spell out spoon after so many rounds, you're out of the game. Now, this game is, it is not a team sport. It is all about you and you alone. And it's actually pretty dangerous. It can get a little violent. In fact, I really don't play anymore because there's a there's a bit of an urban legend out there that I may have knocked over a pregnant woman going for a spoon one time. Now, I cannot confirm or deny that that actually happened. But I can confirm that that woman, the baby was born and the baby's fine. So, it's okay. But it does get pretty aggressive because once, there, once the first spoon is taken, it's a free-for-all and spoons can go flying. I've seen spoons bent in half and twisted and things done to spoons I didn't know could be done. But here, here's the thing. The thing about spoons, when you're playing, there's no better feeling than getting that first four of a kind knowing you're the one that gets to grab the first spoon because you know you're going to get yours, right? And so what you do is you grab that spoon and you hold it real close to your chest and you sit back and watch the melee. You watch everybody else scatter and, and scamper for spoons, but you've got yours and you're good. And you're just watching everything unfold. And I think oftentimes we approach our faith that way, that we get... We get our faith. We, get, we, we receive our salvation. We know we're in, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we are followers of Jesus, and that we are good to go. That if I die today, I know exactly where I'm going, praise God. And we hold that faith close to us, and we kind of lean back and watch everybody else deal with what they're dealing with. And we, we kind of hope, we can root for them, you know, like, hey, I hope you get a spoon, but we're not really going to do anything to help them get a spoon, because I've got mine, and that's what I need. And we're, we're rooting for you, but we're not going to do anything about it. We're actually going to just let you guys scatter and, and figure it out on your own. And if we approach our faith that way, that is, that is what a consumer-driven mindset looks like in the church. Like, I've got my faith now. I want to be blessed. 
but I'm not really going to do anything else to make sure anybody else gets a spoon or anybody else gets, gets to receive their faith. Like, you know, if they want, if they want to accept Jesus, they, they should be able to. There's a church on every street corner. You know, it's their responsibility. I can't talk to them because if, if they wanted to, they'd come to me. You know, I obviously don't want anything to do with Jesus because they haven't been to church in 15 years. And so we just hold our faith close to us and it becomes this private thing where I'm glad I have it and I hope you get it too. But if you don't, I'm sorry. At least I got mine. I, I got my ticket. I got my get out of hell free ticket right here. When in reality, God would say that's not how we're supposed to live our faith. We're supposed to be in the melee. We're supposed to be part of it. We're supposed to be helping, sharing our spoon and helping other people get their spoon and be part of the solution, not just a spectator. And again, I don't know how that looks for you. We're not all called to go live in South America, okay? And that's what freaks out a lot of Christians. Like, man, if I really surrender myself to God, he's gonna make me go, he'll make me live in the Antarctica, and I'm gonna freeze to death. I don't even like the cold here, so how am I gonna like it there? I mean, it's just, God's just waiting for me to give, it to, give myself to him so he can make me do something I don't wanna do. That's not who he is. He just wants us to make an impact in the lives of those that he has put in our life. But you know, fighting for our own kingdom can take all of our energy. So it's hard to focus on God's kingdom, isn't it? But Jesus drops some hard truth on us. In John 18, we see that the, the Pharisees had taken Jesus, they arrested him, and they took him to the governor. They took him to Pilate because they didn't have any legal right to really crucify him themselves. They wanted him executed, but they had to let the Romans do it. So they took him to Pilate, the governor, and told him what they wanted. And Pilate had this interaction with Jesus. And let me read to you out of John 18 and verse 33 to 37. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did someone talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus is telling him there, listen, if, if my kingdom was about this world and building my throne here in Israel, my followers would have, they would have risen up, got their swords, and we'd have been fighting for it. But he said, this isn't where my kingdom is. My kingdom's not of this world. I, my kingdom, you don't even understand it, Pilate. You're so far from God, you don't even understand what my kingdom is. And I believe that would be Jesus' word to all of us is that our kingdom is not of this world. We don't need to spend all of our energy working to build this kingdom because this kingdom is fleeting. It, it goes away. The things we spend so much of our energy on, so much of it is here today and gone tomorrow. And again, I cannot reiterate this enough. It doesn't mean we don't do what we are expected to do in our society. We go to work, we make money, we save, we have an IRA. All those things are great and they're fine. But our mindset can't just be on building our kingdom. That's something we have to do, but our mindset has to be, I want to build God's kingdom. God, give me opportunities to build your kingdom. And I promise you, he will open your eyes to things you never thought you'd see before. Open your eyes to hurting people, to people that, where there's an opportunity for you to slip right in there and just share the love of Jesus with them. Not give, them, not, not give this dissertation on what, why they should be Christians, but just loving them the way Jesus would want them to love them. And not just having the mindset of building our own kingdom. You know, some of us need a supernatural change of mind. In fact, I would say all of us need a supernatural change of mind. Because even when you have it, it does, it's not a one-time thing. It's not like, oh, God changed my mind and I'm good to go. Because tomorrow the flesh is still going to be there and want to have its way too. 
So we have to constantly be reminded and be renewed in our mind about focusing on his kingdom and not our own. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, the same chapter that my text verse is out of, right before those verses in verse 2, remember, remember this is a letter to the church. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, everyone say then. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We must be transformed. Your mind, your natural default mind setting of what you think about, what you care about is not, is not line up with the word of God. We have to be renewed. We can't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't let the world determine what, how you're going to build a kingdom or if you're going to build your kingdom or God's kingdom. Don't let the world determine how you approach your life. We have to be renewed. It is completely normal and acceptable thinking in the world for them to build their own kingdom because that's the only kingdom they know. But we can't get our standard from the world. We get it from the word of God. And the word God tells us that we have to be renewed, that we don't conform to the patterns of this world, but that we are renewed. And that's a very, very good thing. I, I want to give you a, a quick analogy to help you understand what it looks like and why we should be focusing on God's kingdom. So I got a rope here. I'm going to need a little help. Charity, you want to help me real quick? Lovely Charity. All right. All right, I just want you to take that end of the rope and walk all the way about right there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come across this way a little bit because I think we've got to get it all on camera. We've got to make sure, make sure the TV people can see it too. All right, let's pull it tight so it's up in the air a little bit. There we go. All right, so this rope represents... All of time, okay? And all of time, and this piece of tape right here at my hand, this is the time of your life, okay? So this is your, your place in the, in the timeline of eternity and time that ever existed. This is where we are today. This little piece before the tape, this is the time before our life. So this would be from Adam to today, okay? So about 6,000 years or so. We got this amount of time. Your time, your life is exemplified by this piece of tape, just a small, in fact, if it was really proportional, this piece of tape would be a lot smaller, but you wouldn't be able to see it, so I had to make it a little bit bigger. But this, is, this represents your life. And then all this from here all the way to charity, that represents eternity. Now you look at that, that gives you just a little bit of perspective of what the timeline of life really is. You know, the Bible tells us that our life is here today and gone tomorrow, it's a mist. It's just a vapor. And you, that is, you get a little better picture of that when you look at a piece of rope like this. And frankly, if we were really going to talk about eternity, charity would have to be over there in Atlanta somewhere at the end of the rope. Because eternity is forever. Atlanta's not even far enough. We'd have to wrap around the world a few times. But obviously, we don't have enough money to buy that much rope. So you got to go with what we got. And when you see this, you see we fixate and focus all of our time on our kingdom sometimes, when in reality, it's here today and gone tomorrow. And what matters is all of this. Now, this isn't insignificant, this time you have. This is the time you have to determine the rest of this, right? And I'm, I'm, and I'm talking about the, 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 the time we're going to spend in eternity with Jesus. It is determined by how we live this life, okay? Now, there's another branch that would come off of this that would go a little further south if we don't receive Jesus in our life, amen? It's important that we come to Jesus, that we give him our heart and give him our life and we enter into salvation, which is what he, he intended for all of us. But even at that, there's, the Bible is very clear that there's a second judgment that's about our works. 
that determines our rewards, whether or not we focused or had the, a kingdom of God mindset in our life. It matters, church. It matters. And so I would rather do what God wants me to do in this time so that my eternity is going to be rewarded in a greater measure than if I spend my time here doing what I want to do and all I want is Jesus just to keep me out of going to hell and I just want salvation. And this, this helps us see just a little bit of what it, what it really should matter to us in our life, that having a kingdom mindset, because God's kingdom is all about this, having his kingdom in eternity and making sure that we don't spend all of our time just focused on our own life because it really, in the scheme of things, is, is fairly small and short compared to our eternity. Amen? All right, thank you. Thank you, Charity. Give Charity a hand. Thank you for helping me. Appreciate that. Thank you, girl. So it's worth it to have a kingdom mindset in our life. So I mentioned that it's important that we renew our mind. That's how we're going to have a kingdom mindset. You may, you may today, you may feel like, yes, I'm committed to that. I really want to do that. But again, life's going to hit you when you walk out of here. So we have to constantly be renewed, refreshed, and, and reminded of what it looks like to have that mindset. So how do we renew our mind? Well, it brings me to my second point, which is we have to be equipped. We have to be equipped in the body. Equipped, the definition of equipped means to be supplied with necessary items for a purpose. And I love that. I love that definition because equipped isn't just about being supplied. It's not just about being given, but it's about being supplied for a purpose. If you're actually, if you're being equipped, you're not just keeping it and hoarding it. That's what a consumer would do. A consumer would, would want to be part of the body and get as much as they can get and kind of hoard it. Keep the, hold on to the spoon because that's all they really know. Not necessarily they don't care about people, but that's just all they know. But somebody that's a contributor is going to receive it for a purpose to be used by God, to glorify God and further his kingdom. That's what it being equipped really looks like. How many of you know it's, it's much better to go into a situation feeling like you're equipped than not feeling equipped, right? I, when I was thinking about this, I, the first thing I thought about was having, taking a test. Youth, you guys going to school, you're taking a test. And you know you got a big exam Monday morning. And Sunday night, you spent four hours studying for this test, and you are ready. When you go to school on Monday morning, you're going in with your shoulders back and your head up, right? You can't wait to get the piece of paper, the test from the teacher, because you know you're going to nail it, right? Well, the opposite is also true. If you didn't study because you got swept up in Instagram and TikTok and forgot about studying until it was too late, and you go to take your exam and you haven't studied, and you're not equipped, that's a whole different feeling, isn't it? Being equipped is huge. We don't we don't want to go into situations being unequipped. You know, if you think about a military, you think the army's gonna, they're gonna equip their soldiers to go into battle. They're not equipping their soldiers just so they can stand there and talk about how, how much they know about battle. They're equipping them for the, for the process of going into battle. They would never send them into battle unequipped, right? We have to be equipped because we're in a battle too. We're in a spiritual battle. We've established that we are in a spiritual war. The Bible's very clear, Ephesians 6, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the enemy, basically. So we're in a battle too, and it's important that we are equipped. And you know, people that, are, that have the contributor mindset, we're gonna wanna be equipped because we're gonna wanna replicate ourselves. We wanna be filled and, and given the things that, the blessings and the equipping that comes from community so that we can replicate ourselves. That's discipleship so that we can be part of the solution. We can be part 
of the answer, that we're not just keeping what we've got, but we're giving it, we're taking it and giving it to others. And you know, the church's job is to equip. Our, my job is to equip you. We've talked about this too. The, the, the purpose of the fivefold ministry that's in the church, the local church, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's our job to do that. And we feel like we want to do a great job. We want to do better. In fact, Joy and I, a lot of our, most of our conversations about the church are about how we can better equip people because that's a passion of ours. You know, we, we get you on, on a Sunday morning for a couple hours, but there are 168 hours in a week, if my math is right. And that means you got 166 hours that aren't with us. But we want to be able to equip you. And we've, we've even got some vision for how that can look moving into 2021. We're going to be sharing that after the new year that, that, uh, that I believe the Lord's given us to be able to help equip you to be what God has called you to be, the hands and feet, to be contributors, not just consumers. But, you know, we also have to be self-feeders. Because as much as we want to equip you, you still have more time away from us than you do with us. So we have to be self-feeders in those other 166 hours that we have that aren't in the church building, right? So what does it look like to be a self-feeder? It means you have to stay in the Word. Amen? It means this thing should be the most important book in your whole repertoire. It means that this should be as much a part of your life as when you get up in the morning and you look at the internet to get your news or you go to Facebook to get the updates on what people have been posting through the night, it should be just as natural for you to get to your Bible and be in the Word. Because that's the only way we're really going to feed ourselves and to grow is through His Word. What a privilege we have to have the Word of God. Because the Word of God is designed to equip us for good works. In fact, Paul's second letter to Timothy, his protege, in chapter 3, it says exactly that. Look at what it says in, chapter, in verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the Scripture is for. It's for equipping us for every good work. We have to stay in the Word. The Word needs to be something that we, that we consume all the time. But you know, it all hinges on our relationship with Jesus. And we can't grow in our relationship with Jesus without being in the Word. Amen? Have to be in the Word of God. But even in being in the Word isn't necessarily a relationship with Jesus. You can read the Bible all day long and not have a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Him is about giving ourselves to Him, having His heart and, and talking to Him, having conversations with Him. You know, He's with us all the time. He's always available. He's never out of the office. We have full access to Him. And you know, I, the, the chapter and book in the Bible that I always go to when I think about my relationship with Jesus is in Philippians 3. It, it changed my life 20-some years ago when I got Paul's heart for, for his relationship with Jesus and, and his desire to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Because in the beginning of chapter 3, he talks about all his credentials. He says, you know, if anybody can boast, it's me. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, I persecuted the church. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, as far as the law was faultless, I did everything I was supposed to do right. But then he goes on to say what that really is, what that, all that stuff means to him now that he knows Jesus. And it's in uh, Philippians 3, not, 7 to 9. And this is in the New Living because I like how they said it. It says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Everyone say worthless. Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's an intimate 
knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may, so that I could gain Christ. He's talking here about things being worthless, everything being garbage and worthless compared to knowing Christ. He's not saying everything is garbage except for Jesus. He's not saying that at all. He's saying when you compare it, when you put it up next to the idea of knowing Jesus intimately and having a relationship with Jesus, this is all garbage. All the religion, all the other stuff, everything else you can do compared to knowing him has no value. Garbage has no value. Things that are worthless have no value. He's saying what matters most by far, hands and feet above everything else is knowing Jesus intimately. And church, we have such an incredible privilege to be able to know him intimately. That's only been in the last 2,000 years, you know. Before then, there was no option. But because of what he did for us, we have this beautiful privilege of being able to know him. Not just know about him, but know him. That he wants to have that close personal relationship with each one of us. And you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't want us to feel bad about maybe, well, I'm not there. Like, I don't, I don't feel that. I don't have a really intimate relationship with him. I'm, I'm just trying to hang on, you know. And I want you to know that there's no condemnation in that. That this is not something where if you don't do it this way, you're not doing it right. Because even Paul tells us a little later in this chapter that he hasn't even figured it all out. And he had a face-to-face meeting with Jesus, like pretty hardcore. In fact, in verse 12 of that same chapter, look what he says. He says, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm pressing on. And church, that's my, my word to you today. Just press on, press in to Jesus. You don't have to have your life perfect. He knows everything. Our hearts, the Bible tells us our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. There's none of us that are good. No, not one. Our righteous acts are as filthy rags to him. None of us have it figured out. None of us are good enough to be able to come into his presence. That's not why we get to come into his presence. That's not why we get to know him. That's not why we get to talk to him. That's not why we get to come boldly to his throne of grace. It's because of what he did for us. It's because of who he is and the price he paid that has allowed us, even in our sin, to be able to come into his presence. And we don't need to feel guilty and bad because we haven't done it enough. He's always, he's always there. The Bible is so clear that he will never leave us, never forsake us. Never. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from his love. Nothing. The only thing that can separate him from you from his love is you. Refusing to receive it. So let's make sure we are pursuing him and we're being equipped to be contributors in the body. Third and finally... The third characteristic is to be surrendered. And this actually, I'm only going to hit the high points on this because you can talk about being surrendered. That could be a whole series on its own, let alone a whole sermon. But we are, we have to be surrendered to God if we're going to be contributors. We can't contribute unless we are surrendered to him, unless we are under his covering. Because that's when God can really magnify our efforts. You know, a contributor, the mindset of a contributor wants to be conduit, wants to be surrendered to God so that God can pour into them and it can flow through them into others, right? You've heard that term, I'm sure, before about us being conduit. Well, a consumer mindset would be one of wanting to be a cistern, which is just a container that holds whatever's put into it. It's a holding tank. We're not called to be cisterns. We're called to be conduit. But we can only be that conduit effectively the way God wants us to be if we are surrendered to him. 
And I can tell you today boldly that there's absolutely no other way to live. You can't draw any other conclusion from the word of God other than the fact that Jesus expects us as his followers to be surrendered to him. It's all through the Bible. Jesus is very, very clear that our life was bought with a price. Jesus bought us. He paid for us. He says, you can't even be my disciple if you don't take up your cross and follow me. That's all about surrender. It's all about laying down our life for him. Paul says, I no longer live. I am crucified with Christ. The only, thing, the only one that lives is him and me. That's the only thing that gives me life. We are called to be surrendered in every single way. And I believe that as a church, if we got this in, it, in our spirit, that it would revolutionize our impact on our society. If we really got this in our spirit, what it looks like to be surrendered. Look at what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 to 18. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, what? There is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. You want to know what real freedom looks like? It looks like being transformed. It looks like being transformed into his image. That's what real freedom is. Some people are, think freedom is just being able to do whatever we want. You know, well, Christ said it's free. I can do whatever I want. His grace covers everything. It's good. I'm good. You know, we can just live however we want and we're good to go because God, Christ has set us free. It's not really the freedom he's given us. He gave us freedom to live for him. He gave us freedom. The freedom we have is that, is that uh, ability to be completely surrendered to him, to be able to completely trust him, that his ways are higher than our ways, that his ways are better, that he is our father, that he loves us unconditionally, that his, his plans for us are good, that he's going to work all things out for our good, for those that love him. That Knowing that gives us the freedom to be surrendered to him. Because to be surrendered to anybody else, there's nobody else in all of the world, no matter who, how close you are to them, wife, husband, kids, children, best friends, boss, whoever it is, there's nobody else in all the world that you can say with 100% certainty that you could surrender everything to them and they are fully trustworthy. Nobody. Nobody in this world. I would like to think that I'm pretty trustworthy to joy, but I also know I'm a human being and I'm not perfect. So there's times that, that I can uh, mistreat her trusting me. Whether it's accidentally or on purpose, doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is none of us are 100% trustworthy except for Jesus. And so because of that freedom that we have, knowing his character, knowing who he is, it frees us to be surrendered to him because we know that his ways are always going to be for our good and for his glory and that he's going to take care of us. And so because of that, we can be surrendered to him. And in, as we surrender to him, he transforms us into his image. We become more like him. He empowers us. He, he puts his spirit in us to be more like him. We are constantly being transformed into his image. The longer we live for Jesus, the longer we love Jesus, the more we get transformed into his likeness. Somebody that's been saved for 10 minutes isn't going to have the same character of God as somebody that's been saved for 50 years, hopefully. Right? Because we are continually being transformed. We're continually being filled with the Spirit to be able to be empowered to live the way He has called us to live. Paul says in, later in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 9, when he asked God to take his thorn from his flesh, God said, or it says, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect 
in weakness. I don't think I'm doing violence to the scripture to say, you could say there, my power is made perfect in your surrender. Because we we're all weak. <laughs> it's, it's an acknowledging of that weakness. It's surrendering who we are. It's not, it's not the fact that we're weak makes his grace sufficient because we're all weak. His power is made perfect. His grace is sufficient when we realize that our power is insufficient. That's when it's made perfect in us. That's when it's made complete in us. When we acknowledge, when we surrender ourselves saying, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I can't do this on my own. God, I'm going to trust you. And we can only know his power when we embrace our weakness. It's the only way we'll ever know his power in our life. I wish God would just overwhelm my, my flesh and say, listen, Reagan, you're doing it wrong and I'm just going to take over for you. You just scoot over. I got this. But that's not what he does. He waits for us to say, okay, God, I'm sliding over. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the reins because I can't do this. We surrender to him. And when we do, he, church, he can change our whole mindset. He could change what's important to us. What we think is important to us suddenly isn't as important anymore. We have a kingdom mindset. He starts to equip us. He fills us with his spirit to where we can, we can have influence in ways we never dreamed we could have. But it doesn't come unless we are surrendered to him. And we can surrender to him because he is fully trustworthy. And he's the only one that is fully trustworthy. I have a vision for a church that is kingdom-minded. I have a vision for a church that is equipped and I have a vision for a church that is surrendered. And I believe church that that's God's heart for us. That we would, that we would love more than we've been loved. That we would love the unlovable. That we would serve more than we're served. That we would give more than we've been given. That that would be the banner over this church. That we would be a people that are not consumers, but we're contributors that we want to be part of the solution, that we want to be part of the answer, and that we would know that God has equipped me for, with everything that I need to be able to serve him. And this is not some ploy to get people to join the dream team and, and serve this church. It's really not, because frankly, we can't even really do everything we want to do as a dream team because of COVID. This is about our mindset, getting, out of the, getting away from that fast food mindset, getting into the mindset that Jesus has for the church. That's his call on each and every one of our lives. And you have a part to play no matter what the enemy has said to you, no matter how messed up your past is, and no matter how messed up you think your present is, God has a plan for you. He will use you as you surrender to him. Surrendering. It's not about who has the most degrees, who's the smartest, who's got most of the Bible memorized. It's about being surrendered to him. God can use a surrendered person more than he can ever use somebody that's full of themselves because of all their knowledge. Paul said, the apostle Paul said that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Let's be surrendered to him, to his plan for each one of us. Would you stand with me as I close today? I want to challenge you today to this, that you would stand and you would say to God and to yourself, because of what God has done for you, because what God has done for me, I will not, I cannot sit by idly and not contribute. If he really has saved you, 
then there's no way when we understand what we deserve compared to what we're actually getting because of what he's done for us, there's no way we could possibly rationalize in our head, it's okay for me to be on the sidelines. It's okay for me to just come to church and consume. We can't rationalize that. Not scripturally. You might be able to talk yourself into it because if you compare yourself to other people, then you could probably do that. But we're not called to compare ourselves to other people. We're called to compare ourselves to the word of God. To let the word of God set the standard for us in our life. Not people. Because all of us people are flawed. Let's let the word of God set the standard for us. That we will be contributors. However that looks, I'm not giving you a five point plan of how you can be a contributor in the body of Christ. But I believe God can speak to you as you open yourself to him and say, yes, God, I'm surrendered. I wanna have a kingdom mindset. I want you to equip me and I'm surrendered to your plan. And I lay down my own kingdom. We need to lay down our kingdoms today, church. Lay them down. Again, it doesn't mean we don't go to work tomorrow. Don't, don't text me this afternoon and say, hey, I get the message, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> don't do that, please. We still have to do what we have to do, but our mindset is on the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Just receive this prayer today. Father God, we love you. We thank you, God, that you chose us. Thank you, Father. It's not by our own merit. It's not because we're good enough. Lord, we even know that salvation comes from us just giving ourselves to you and saying, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would carry that on in our life. That we would say that we, we need you, God. We need you to renew our mind. We need you to equip us. We need you to give us a kingdom mindset. We even need you to help us surrender. Help us to see, God, that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, that your word is true. And God, for any of us in this room that have believed the lie that we're not good enough, we're not even good enough for you to love us, that maybe we haven't even received your salvation that you offer us, God. Lord, I pray that lie would be exposed today, that we would receive your love, your salvation, your forgiveness of our sins. We thank you today that there is no sin that your blood cannot wash away. Hallelujah. We bless you for that today, God. It doesn't matter what it is. Your blood is strong enough. Your spirit that's living in us, God, we thank you today that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And Lord, I pray that we would give place to your spirit let you have your way, that you'd be able to change our mind, that you'd be able to speak to our heart, that you'd give us your mindset, you'd give us your perspective and help us to be strong enough to be weak. We'll give you all the glory, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the honor. Would you seal the work you're doing in our hearts right now by your spirit, that we would take this with us, God, that we would take this with us and it would, it would produce fruit in our life, not just today, but moving forward. In the name of Jesus, we believe you for it, God. Hallelujah. All God's people said, amen, amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise today. He's worth it. He's worthy of it.